0: you are listening to friends of the earth europe's show at the World radio to Real World Radio Europe, a show bringing together what's going on in the over 30 national member groups of Friends of the Earth Europe. We're the European branch of the world's largest grassroots environmental and social justice network, Friends of the Earth International. I'm Fran, and I've made this episode about Brexit. I wanted to find out how the United Kingdom's vote to leave the European Union has been affecting Friends of the Earth Europe member organisations. It's more than a year and a half since the United Kingdom voted to leave the EU in the referendum. And that means they'll be leaving in less than a year from now. And I was interested to know what that means for the Friends of the Earth member groups in the UK. Friends of the Earth has members in all the constituent parts of the United Kingdom and I wanted to find out how they're responding to Brexit, what it means for their work now during the negotiation period and what they think it's going to mean in the long term to the issues that they work on and also what it's going to mean for the network. In this podcast I've spoken to representatives from Friends of the Earth England, Wales and Northern Ireland, Friends of the Earth Scotland and Friends of the Earth Northern Ireland. The first person that I spoke to was Kira Box from Friends of the Earth England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Assuming that Brexit does happen, what are your fears, what are your hopes, how do you see it unrolling?
1: If Brexit happens, and it is obviously uh, moving that way at the moment, although you never know, um, but if the UK leaves the EU, our concern is really that at the moment the withdrawal bill, the legislation that's meant to protect all our environmental safeguards, doesn't really give them a proper status in law. So what we could see is from 2020, 2021 onwards, we could see moves in Parliament for uh, these laws to be dismantled, for safeguards to go down and down and gradually be eroded and chipped away at. And what we're really hoping is that Britain will see the value Of making trade arrangements and cooperation arrangements and you know a whole a whole range of legal arrangements with other countries which have as their basis non-regression we're not going to make the environment worse and then from that they move on to how the UK is going to take advantage of what we've been told is an opportunity to make our environment better listening to you it sounds like this is a really a
0: long-term thing actually about how laws continue being made and it's going to be part of your work for years to come rather than months. Is, is that right?
1: It is possibly a little sad to think that Brexit will dictate what we do in Friends of the Earth for years to come, but I think it's true. Um, I think that the other campaigning that we do um, in England, Wales and Northern Ireland you know, focuses on, on air pollution, focuses on plastic waste on our climate change commitments, on all of these things, which actually will be really impacted by whatever trading relationships and international standards come out of Brexit. But we are hopefully gonna find ways that we can work with Friends of the Earth groups across Europe even more and and other partners um, to really put the pressure on the UK right now and say that the environment affects us all and prevent those um, possibly damaging changes from from ever coming into being.
0: The next person that I spoke to was Mary Church at Friends of Death Scotland. Scotland voted to remain in the referendum. And now, as well as being involved in the negotiations of how the UK as a whole will leave the EU, the Scottish government is negotiating with Westminster about what powers will come back to Scotland, if any. And Mary talked to me about the particular situation of Scotland and the particular threats that Brexit poses for Scotland.
2: There's a very specific thing in the Scottish context where as a devolved administration within the UK, obviously the UK government is the the member state of the EU that is withdrawing. And the UK government, um, it depends on who you speak to obviously, but the UK government hasn't been as good as it should be at including the devolved administrations in the negotiations, in the decision making. And there's this very real risk of a power grab taking place, uh, with Westminster taking uh, areas that are currently devolved to both Scotland and, and the Welsh Assembly and in Northern Ireland. So environmental powers are currently in the hands of the devolved administrations being taken back to Westminster as powers come from the EU to the to the UK. So key areas like fisheries, food standards, lots of environmental ground there that might be taken to Westminster.
0: You are listening to Friends of the Earth Europe's show and we are radio. Knowing some more about the Scottish situation, the next person that I spoke to was James Orr from Friends of the Earth Northern Ireland. The Northern Irish situation is probably even more complex given that Northern Ireland shares a border with the Republic of Ireland, which is an EU member. So this is the only land border between the UK and the rest of the EU. I'm really sorry about the poor quality of the phone line that uh, James was using. And there's also somebody typing very enthusiastically in the background. I'm really sorry about the poor sound, but please do bear with it. What James has to say is really interesting
3: in a dystopian Brexit scenario where we lose a lot of this legislation, or it's probably rather than that, it slips through the net. It, it gives us an opportunity to say, well, what type of new governance arrangements do we want, and what types of laws do we want applied in the future? There's no point simply having these European nature laws unless they're implemented. What Brexit has allowed us to do as well, in a sense, is to highlight some of the companies that are now moving into Northern Ireland is taking advantage, potentially, of a Brexit scenario. So Ireland, according to an international mining sort of group, the Fraser Institute, has now been identified as the number one place in a global attractiveness index for extractive industry. Not somewhere in South America, not in Africa, not in Southeast Asia, but Ireland has now been identified. And the border area has been identified by a lot of these companies as being the place where they want these major new international mining concessions. We can develop a, a very strong argument that when people voted for Brexit, they didn't vote for these industries. They occupy some regulatory space that has opened up in some type of special status zone. So it allows us in a sense, to develop, you know, a better vision for the Irish border, you know, one that maybe requires significant ecosystem restoration and elements of rewilding rather than to abandon it to some of these industries which appears to be the case. The next wave of industries that are coming in now, and certainly have been granted a lot of mineral concessions, are also looking at the Irish border as the place to do business because they see it as a place where they can play one jurisdiction off against another. It's almost become a no man's land, a sort of Klondike which is very difficult to regulate. And on the basis that no one wants a hard border then you know there's the potential there that it could become very difficult borders and, and a dirty border. And you know, we have an opportunity now to develop a better narrative and a better story for what type of border we want Ireland to have. So in If there is an environmental governance gap, and and we have one in in Northern Ireland, much more so in the south, the mantra about regulatory alignment is one that we will definitely use to ensure that we have not just a regulatory alignment around goods and services, but much more importantly, the regulation of of these businesses through proper environmental protection. It's pretty much agreed by the European Union and by all governments that we don't want hard border. The issue for us is whether we have a dirty border. And by that I mean that we have a number of major threats at the minute, particularly from cross-border new road building, um, from major extractive industries coming in to take advantage of Brexit, and I mean international mining concessions, and also from agribusiness, which is developing rapidly. And we think the issue for Ireland is whether or not it's going to be a special status, but the type is, the, the question is what type? special status will we get. So from a Friends of the Earth perspective, I think for us the issue is to draw attention to the current environmental problems along the Irish border, to safeguard our nature laws, particularly transboundary legislation, but particularly to talk about this narrative of the border needing a big idea. I think all borders need big ideas, but for us we need to be restoring the ecosystems around the Irish border, not polluting them and making them worse. So we want to get involved in this debate a lot more. We want to assiduously monitor particularly the Northern Irish government and how powers are transferred, and and also look at governance arrangements. Northern Ireland, for example, is the only part of these islands that doesn't have any independence in its environmental protection. For example, we don't have an environmental protection agency. We don't have a climate act with meaningful targets. We have the biggest illegal mine in a special protection area in the whole of Europe. And we have the biggest illegal dump, we believe, in these islands, if not Western Europe. So the issues we face are quite serious. A lot of these issues are around the Irish border already. And if we can do anything, it's to bring pressure to highlight these problems to make sure that the border doesn't become a dirty Brexit.
0: So, having heard what's at stake for the whole of the UK in terms of environmental standards... And heard about some of the local impacts of Brexit for the Northern Irish border and for Scotland. Next I asked, what has Friends of the Earth been doing since the referendum to try and minimise the damage? First you'll hear from Kira what Friends of the Earth England, Wales and Northern Ireland has been doing. And then from Mary about Scotland. Since
1: the referendum we've been really trying to... Make the case where we can in in the media and uh, when talking to politicians that, again, there is a danger here. I think a lot of people weren't aware how much of our environmental protection stemmed from our membership of the European Union. So we've been talking to supporters um, about how the things they value, the natural areas or the species or the clean water they value, could be impacted by us leaving Europe. We've been trying to get those messages out in the media. We've also been going out to local groups to get them to be talking to their members of parliament, to people in their area about what leaving Europe might mean on the ground for for people's everyday lives. And I suppose our major work has been the kind of behind the scenes stuff. We've been working through Greener UK, which is a coalition of a whole number of environmental organizations across the UK, All of whom believe Brexit poses a threat to our environment and we need to watch out for that. And we've been really talking to MPs, talking to Lords, briefing them, giving them amendments, giving them legal opinions and trying to make the Withdrawal Bill, which is currently going through Parliament. We're trying to make sure that that is watertight so that our environmental protections are safeguarded through that first piece of legislation. So we tend to work within this coalition
2: of environmental NGOs in Scotland-Scottish Environment Link. So the big NGOs and some of the smaller ones as well are operating very well together actually to sort of cover the breadth of environmental areas that are at risk from Brexit. So we feed in both at the UK level and the Scottish level. So Richard, our director, for example, is sitting on a subgroup, a Scottish government subgroup on Brexit and the environment. That's a key place that we can... ...influence into the negotiating position that the Scottish Government takes within the UK on the Brexit agenda. But we're also actually looking to some of the opportunities. We wouldn't think that Brexit presents many opportunities. But with the looming governance gap mm-hmm. on environmental standards... ...so with the loss of the oversight of the European Court of Justice... ...and the Commission as the the body that takes action to, to, to go to court... Then you know what are we going to do at the Scottish and indeed the UK level to replace that oversight? And so one of the key things that we're pushing for at the Scottish level is an environmental court or tribunal. So we've been calling for that for many years in terms of improving our compliance with the R House. Conventions and this gives us an opportunity to ramp up our calls for an environmental court or tribunal and we're seeing traction on that. It's tricky to navigate this area. It's all very in Scotland, it's very mixed up with the independence agenda. 2014 we had the Scottish Independence Referendum and it was two years later that we had the Brexit referendum. We we voted no to independence, um, but we also as a country voted no to Brexit. So in Scotland, I think it was 67% of the population voted no to Brexit, um, whereas the overall UK vote was for Brexit. Now, immediately after the vote, the Scottish government said, well, that's a change. That's a material um, consideration that means that we can put the independence, another independence referendum back on the agenda. Now, interestingly, that actually backfired. Whether it was because the government acted too soon, they moved too soon, it seemed to backfire. There was an initial surge in support for independence after the Brexit vote. But it seems to have sort of leveled off or even dropped off again. And what that's done is it's meant the Scottish Government has had to really think about the power that it already has and how they're using it. So it's coming under a lot of pressure to say well, you know, you you claim that we would be in a much better place with independence and with more powers, um, uh, devolved to the Scottish Parliament, but what are you doing with the powers that you already have? And what we've seen is, last year, we had a new programme for government, which actually, astonishingly, delivered on a lot of our campaign asks. So all of a sudden, we had wins on uh, low-emission zones for... Um, air pollution in in air quality or air pollution hotspots in Scotland. We had the announcement of a Just Transition Commission which is something we had only been calling for for six months. We had the announcement of a Scottish National Investment Bank, uh, a key part of which would be to help drive the the transition to a, a zero carbon economy. So really important lots of wins and that document the low-carbon agenda actually permeated that document. It was very interesting. The first time we've seen a programme for government that so comprehensively took the low-carbon agenda on board. Now, I see that as a direct response to, to the, sort of the failure of the, the independence response to Brexit, right?
0: At least in one place, there seems to be something positive coming out of Brexit. And Friends of the Earth is certainly pushing the Scottish Government to make the most of any opportunities to do things better. Finally, I wanted to hear what Brexit might mean for our network. I was interested to hear from the UK members what difference Brexit will make, if any, to the strength of the network and how we work together. First I asked James, then Kira, then Mary, their thoughts on Friends of the Earth Europe post-Brexit. Is there a message you would like to send to the Friends of the Earth Europe Network?
3: Let's all get a bit more serious and clever about the implementation of this incredible European jurisprudence, this amazing body of laws around the circular economy and ecosystem protection and the precautionary principle and the polluter pays principle. Now these are groundbreaking pieces of international law. and We shouldn't just assume they're being implemented. We should be cherishing them and working together a lot more strongly to make sure they're implemented. Because if they go, you will end up with a scenario that is almost irreparable. So I think, first of all, let's work together to make sure that this body of amazing European environmental law is respected and cherished. I do value so much the fact that We're part of a European network. Whether Brexit happens or not, and of course it looks as if it is going to happen, you know, the issues that we deal with, the issues of stewardship and sustainable development and environmental protection, these issues are more important in a Brexit scenario. In terms of climate change, they're much, much more important. And what we value more than anything is the fact that we're connected through our seas and through our air or ecosystems with many other countries, but we absolutely value the fact that we're part of a broader network because you know, they can bring a perspective to some of these issues. I would love
1: the rest of the network to make it clear how important it is that the UK is held to really high standards, You know, not just over the next year, but over the transition and into the future. We, it's going to become even more important for us we have an international force calling for those international level commitments to be high and to be maintained and to be monitored and enforced and all of that work is still going to be there and it's going to be so vital for us and we're going to need all the help that we can get
2: i want to say it makes no difference at all like in some ways it makes no difference at all right we're still part of the faux family we've still got the same shared Priorities, but it does actually make a difference because obviously we're stepping out of the EU, and some in the past, a lot of the work that we've done together within Friends of the Earth Europe has been uh, by way of EU-funded projects, right? So we'll be out of that um, after Brexit, but we're not the only ones who are out of that. There's, you know, we've got Bosnia, we've got Russia, we've got, you know, Friends of the Earth Europe is big. (laughs) It's not. It's bigger than the EU, so. In a way, I you know while it would be sad to step out of the EU context within Friends of the Earth Europe, it will also be wonderful to step into the arms of you know the non EU Friends of the Earth Europe groups, right And also within the UK context, you know we also have that regional perspective, so we're working we're already working closely together Scotland, Wales um, Northern Ireland. England and also uh, the Republic of Ireland. It's critical because the Republic of Ireland is very affected by, by Brexit as well, even if they are not Brexiting themselves. So we work closely together as a, as a mini-region, a region within a region, if you like, and I'm just I'm looking forward to that being strengthened.
0: Huge thanks to Kira, Mary and James for taking part in this podcast Thank you for listening and please do keep up to date with Friends of the Earth's Europe's networks campaigns. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and you can visit our website foeeurope.org. You can get involved with Friends of the Earth wherever you are. If you go to the network page of our website, you'll find the contact details for your national Friends of the Earth. That's at foeeurope.org forward slash network. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts. And follow radio stories from around the Friends of the Earth International Network at radiomundoreal.fm. Thanks to Pete the Temp for the music, and see you next time. Thanks. Bye. This was Friends of the Earth Europe and Real Radio.